Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacey Brookman. For the next three hours, I ended up being chased around our honeymoon suite, naked, not being able to leave, trying to actually hide in one of the bedrooms as he was chasing after me. He told me at one point he wished he had never married me, he really wanted to kill me. And then he actually pushed me onto the four post bed and started strangling me. This is Stacey Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. Our guest today is a transformational coach because she has brought herself through some amazing transformations, particularly having bad relationships. So if you've ever had a tough relationship, stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. If you need an easy way to get started on telling your life story, then you need to free write. Almost every famous writer uses the free writing technique. Don't know what free writing is? Our guide to free writing your life stories will give you all the steps you need to get started. You can download your copy at stacybrookman.com slash freewrite because your story deserves to be told. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome Stephanie McPhail. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. I'm really thrilled and I'm excited to listen to what you have to say. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited too. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do, first of all. Well, my name is Stephanie and I am a transformational coach. I help women rediscover their purpose after toxic, unhealthy relationships. I have a business called Mind and Body Awakenings that I run with my husband, David. He is a Psych K practitioner and a coach as well. And it's great to be able to work with my husband and you know, kind of have the male perspective and the female perspective in the coaching. And so we like to work together and, and really improve our programs by the relationship. Oh, how fun. So you help women get out of their toxic relationships or recover from their toxic relationships? I guess more recover from them. They're already, if they're still in it, kind of up to them to decide when they're going to make that decision to leave. Where I am is once a woman has already left and she's looking to kind of put the pieces back together and figure out what the heck happened to the past whatever amount of years of my life and where am I doing and where am I going and who am I? So I get the opportunity to help, you know, just kind of lead them to the right direction and help just kind of hold them accountable and, and hold their hands so they're not alone right. going through And all you know what? So many women are in toxic relationships and it is very hard to get out of those toxic relationships. And once you're out, that's not the end. You do have to recover from that. And that's what we, we talk about here on Real Life Resilience. And you had your own toxic relationship or relationships. Tell us about a little bit about your knowledge of that. Yeah, I, I didn't learn very quickly. So, I mean, basically, I grew up in a family where love was this very uncomfortable thing. And my, I love my parents and they did the best they, they could do. But they were suffering themselves from codependency from their own upbringing. And so, you know, growing up, there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of argument. Nobody ever forgave each other for anything. Or actually, I guess should, should rather say they would forgive because nobody would talk about it. We would move on to the next thing the next day and not. So, you know, I learned that in my first major relationship when I was 19 years old, my boyfriend at the time was great. 
until he started becoming a little bit more jealous. And then his father got sick with cancer and he started to change. And I really tried to support him and, and be there for him through this horrible time of his life. And he just kept not being the same person that I started dating. He ended up starting to be more aggressive. I remember one day coming home and having him get angry at me. And I, I don't remember what it was, but in order to scare me or intimidate me, he actually punched holes all around my head as I covered my head, you know, trying to just protect myself as my dogs were actually next to me. And I felt, you know, I remember falling to the ground. And I was like, this is awful. And then, you know, a few months later, my ex-boyfriend actually accused me of cheating on him and started calling friends of mine at three o'clock in the morning after he had come home at three o'clock in the morning and I was actually home in bed. Yeah. So he called one of my friends and she ended up calling the police. Police said to me, and I remember I was 27 years old, so it was seven and a half years into that relationship. And I was 27 years old and the police came and they said, you're too young to deal with this now while you can. I was like, you're right, you know, police officer. You know, I was embarrassed and, and everything else. I ended that relationship feeling kind of bad because I felt like I was letting him down. And then I never really rectified that. And I dated other people and they kept being off. They kept not being healthy relationships. And I would date them for a little while and they were off. And then I finally met my ex-husband and he was a sweet talker and he was a friend of a friend. So I thought he was safe. And he, my friend tried to warn me that he was a little bit off. And I think I was at a point where I said, and for some reason, when you're young, you think you don't always right. think things through, but I, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to overlook some of the issues that he had. And one of the issues was having a temper. And growing up with a father that had a bit of a temper, I thought, you know what? He's got these other great qualities. I think I can deal with this. So there were a lot of red flags and I ignored them. And when I was 29 years old, I got married in a castle, a place called Ohiga Castle. He wanted to do a big Long Island style wedding, um, which is always over the top for Long Island. I wanted to do a destination small wedding, but you know, he very much wanted to have that big wedding. So we got married to this gorgeous castle, had family from all over the country and, and everyone come and visit for this wedding and had, you know, it was, it was the most beautiful, amazing day of my life. And then that night we went back to our hotel room in the castle. We had a beautiful suite with a four, you know, four post bed and marble all over the floor in the bathroom and just everything that you could possibly imagine. And there was two bedrooms, there was a kitchen. I mean, this was like a beautiful, beautiful honeymoon suite. And I was thinking it was going to be this beautiful romantic night. My ex started to run the water. He took my dress off and I was, you know, I was like, all right, we're going to go take a bath. I stuck my toe in the bathtub and water poured out the side. Now, this is a big fancy bathroom. So there was actually a place for the water to go down the drain. It's not like it was just, you know, making a mess. So, you know, my ex said to me, you know, you, you don't ever care about anything. And I said, honey, it's a bathroom. There's water on the ground. Mm -hmm. There's actually a drain. This happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. It's like, you know what? You never, you see, I'm telling you, you, know, you never care about anything. You know, you don't care about my feelings. And I was like, honey, let's please stop. Let's take a breather. Cause I could see I'm getting upset. Don't want you to ruin the night. That set something off in his mind. So for the next three hours or so, I ended up being chased around our honeymoon suite naked, not being able to leave, trying to actually hide in one of the bedrooms as he was chasing after me, having my body up against the door as he banged on the door, trying to get in. He told me at one point he wished he had never married me. He only wanted to kill me. He took his wedding ring off and threw it at me, which is just kept escalating, right. you know? 
then pretty much by the end of the night, he had chased, I finally come out of the other bedroom. He had chased me around some of the other rooms. And then he actually pushed me onto the four post bed and started strangling me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I just remember looking up at him and at first I was fighting, you know, I was fighting him and just trying to get him off of me. And I was thinking a a tear just started streaming down my face. And I'm thinking, this is what's supposed to be the best day of my life and is going to kill me on my wedding day. Like, what did I do? And I felt my arms and, and legs get heavy. And I started to feel like I was getting out of energy and I couldn't fight him anymore. And I kind of just, I don't know if I gave up or my, I just wasn't getting enough oxygen. I just stopped moving. And at, at some point he just, he stopped and he looked at me and, and I don't, I mean, whenever you associate with someone who, who goes, he turns that switch and goes crazy, I feel like there's like a blackness that right. goes in their eyes. He had blue eyes, but he had a blackness when he was angry like that. And he, you know, that, that blackness that was there as he was strangling me went away. And there's like guilt and shame and all these feelings were, were there. And he just walked away from me. And so I laid in the, you know, the fetal position, just crying to myself and thinking, oh my God, I just married this man. And what do I do? So, I mean, so, I mean, and I, I stayed, (laughs) I stayed for five years. It was, you know, he promised it would never happen again. And it was just something he was so stressed out from the day, which ended up being his, his mode, you know, was I'm so stressed out. This happened because someone was mean to me or my job is not giving me the money that I want, or they're giving me too much stress, or you spoke too loudly in front of our friends and that embarrassed me, or you talk too much, or there was always an excuse for what behavior was. And I ended up throwing him out of the house on three separate occasions after every time he had been physically violent with me. And, you know, and then there was at a point he had pushed me and I hit my head on the ground and had like, you know, a big lump on my head. I just kept thinking like, I need to get away from this man. And, but there was also this part of me that was so fearful you know, that, that thought of being 29 and I'm too old and I need to get married at 29. Well, that became 32 and 33. I said to myself when I was 33 and my birthday's in December and I decided to get a divorce in May. So I just remember being 33 and I was like, you know, I'm going to be 34 this year. And I'm thinking and feeling the same thing I did last year and the year before. And my mom had said to me, would you want this to be your last day on earth? Would you be happy with the life that you led? And I was like, I don't want to do this in 50 years. I don't want to do my life. So with that decision, you know, I kind of started looking at ways to get out. I was the breadwinner in the house. And so I was really the one who had the money. I don't really know what I was so fearful of. I had always, I'd owned my own house since I was 21 years old. So, you know, strong, independent woman is the last person you think had an issue with being abused. And here I was that person. And there was the guilt and embarrassment and, and everything trying to hide it. You know, one of my friends, I talked to one of my friends that I didn't see very often. And she said, listen, if you decide to leave him, you can come and live with me. This was like the end of April, I guess. And so I said, okay, thanks. I said, are you sure? Because I don't know how he's going to be. She's like, don't worry. I've got cameras everywhere. He's not coming to my house. So I was like, all right. And she's like, and then again, he's not going to figure out to come to my house because I've known her since middle school, but we don't talk very often. So you know, ended up that I was still trying to figure it out. I was still scared and I didn't know what to do. And I was working two jobs to try to pay for all the bills as he was working as a bartender and going back to school. One day I was at my second job and he was supposed to work a a long day and make a lot of money. He was talking about like five or $600 for a big shift and it was going to come back a lot of money. And I was really hopeful for this because we needed some money for the bills and he hadn't been paying. 
So it's about two or three hours into my second job. And all of a sudden I get a text message from him. And the text message says, says to me, I quit my job. I look at the text message and I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? This was supposed to be money. Like right. I was looking forward to this. I'm here at a job and he just quit his job. So I said, I tried, I was, I texted him back and I said, sweetheart, please go back and tell them you lost your temper and you want to go back and get your job back. This response, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the, the nasty words in here, but this is exactly what he said. Just like typical cunt bitch Stephanie to not support mm. her husband. And I looked at that and I said, what the hell am I doing? I don't need to do this anymore. And that was the decision. And I, the next person I called or texted actually, because I was in a place where it was quiet and I texted a friend and I said, is the, the possibility still open for me to come and stay at your place? And she was like, absolutely. And I said, I'm coming in on Monday. Started the proceedings. And I have to admit that it wasn't that it got easier from there because he basically any new guy I dated, he would call them and tell them that I had a disease or that I was a cheater or he'd find out who they were. He would go to places we were and show up and cause a scene. Really had to get to a point that said, you know what? I don't even care. I mean, he would try to threaten my job. He would try to threaten, I mean, everything. And I really got to a point. I said, you know what? If people believe what he says about me, then that's going to be what it is. And I just can't keep living with him right. controlling me right. the way it is. Was he a sociopath, a narcissist? The label to it at all? Yeah. I mean, my, a friend of mine is a psychiatrist. She's pretty sure at the very least he has borderline personality disorder, but she's also, you know, she said she's like the sociopath and narcissistic person disorder. All of those kind of fit the bill of his personality because he could just, you know, and I would say when we first started dating, he was a good salesman because he knew how to say the right thing in right. front of the right people. Then, or just in the right tone so that I would hear it and other people wouldn't. Or enough of those things that I would feel badly and quiet down and other people wouldn't notice that he had said something or done something inappropriate, you know, realistically. Those people fly under the radar and our situations are so, so similar. And that's why I'm having you on this podcast because there are a lot of other very confident, professional, successful women who fall into this trap. And so what have you done to kind of think back through to say, okay, how was I accepting of this behavior? Because that's essentially what it boils down to it, with myself as well. I accepted that behavior and I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say, no, that's not right. For some reason, I felt like I was, you know, gagged or something and I couldn't say that sort of thing. And I, I think you felt the same thing. So tell me, tell me about that. I think it was a few things. I think that it was, I didn't know what love could feel like. I didn't know that it was not supposed to be uncomfortable. And that was one of the things I, I'm actually writing a book called being loved shouldn't hurt. And it took me till I was about 35 years old to understand and feel in my body that concept, because to me, love meant anxiety. It was just used to it. It was like this I don't know, just like anxious. It was just anxious feeling all the time and you never knew what was going to come. And so I think that was just, that had become normal for me. So just that. And then I think there was another piece of it that because I had had so many unhealthy relationships, part of me blamed myself in that I was the one who made them this way. My fault 
that they're behaving this way. What can I do to make it better? So, you know, a lot of the times in the marriage, I was trying really hard to say, okay, if I walk a little bit more on eggshells, if I'm, if I am quieter in public, if I don't say things that annoy him, you know, it's going to make it better. So there was a lot of that. And then without realizing it, I mean, I was obviously codependent. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely an empath and I, I love caring for other people, but it was instead of caring about me, I cared more about him. And, you know, and he didn't respect that, which isn't a weird kind of twist to it. He knew that he was treating me badly and he didn't respect me for staying around, even though, even though he didn't want me to leave, he didn't respect me for staying with someone who treated him, just treated, was treated that badly. So once you left and you made that break and that's not the end of, Hey, I'm going to live happily ever after, right? (laughs) There's a lot of work after that. (laughs) but it's great, great healing work. Yeah. Tell me about that part of your life where you recovered and steps you took. Well, the recovery was actually a, a very bumpy road. I decided to leave. I stayed with a friend of mine for about four months. And then I got into, I had some legal issues. My grandmother passed away. I got a blood clot. I had started dating a guy and he disappeared. So I got ghosted. It was just one thing after the other, after the other. And when the guy ghosted me is when I, that's when I fell into a depression. And I just, for months, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't eat. I was finally, all those years of everything that I was trying to not deal with came to, like, just came into my soul. And I, and I couldn't shake this horrible feeling of, of I mean, real depression. I, I mean, I was having a hard time concentrating and really doing any of my normal activities. I couldn't find joy. And it was just, I mean, I would literally go to work, come home, get into my pajamas and lay in bed. And anyone that's known me, even in the worst times, I always was a positive person. So anyone that had known me for any period of time said, I've never seen you like this. And it's, it's killing us to see when there's nothing we can do. And, and I literally, I feel like I couldn't breathe. Like there was something sitting on my chest. And so it was a few months time, concentrated time. It was literally every three weeks, something really bad happens for three or four months. Yeah. And so finally it was, so it was like the end of December where November, December, all these horrible things were happening. And then the new year happened and I got pink eye and I was like, oh, just add that to the list because it's been three weeks. I might as well have something else horrible. And then three days later, I sprained my ankle, which is weird because you wouldn't think that that was a defining moment, but it actually was. I was in the emergency room and who did they call automatically but my ex-husband because he was still on my list of the, at the nurse's office or whatever. And I mean, and he was actually not a, a bad person. He was okay that he was there, which is you know, strange too. But so I remember sitting and looking at the, you know, in the emergency room, looking at my ankle, just hugely swollen. And I started laughing and my ex-husband was standing, like staring at me and he's like, why are you laughing? And I was like, I started laughing and then tears started coming out of my eyes. And I was, I looked up and I was like, I get it. I, I get it. I am the one who needs to make the changes. There had been this piece of me that wanted somebody else to come and fix it. I wanted somebody else, you know, the knight in shining armor to come and swoosh me off my feet and make everything better. And for some reason, that ankle was swollen and being in the emergency room and, you know, it just came to me and I said, you know what? I am my own knight in shining armor. I do not need to wait for anyone else. I actually went home and I was reading a book called The Celestine Prophecy. And I don't know if you ever read it. It's a really good book. So there's three different books and, and literally I turned the page and the character in the oh, book wow. sprained his ankle. 
literally. Yeah. It was not even like a few pages. Like I turned the page and the very next page that I was reading, he sprained his ankle. And it was basically about like not paying attention to the world around him and, and not feeling like he's really a part of and whatever. And I was like, oh my God, there's another sign from the universe, from the world around me, just showing me what I need to do. And that was, I mean, it was at that point became such a turning point because I started to say, you know what, I'm going to now look for things that make me happy. And I started really following my heart. And if something started to not feel good, I walked away from it. And so I was doing some intense therapy. I was, you know, I had was going to concerts with friends. I was rediscovering who my real friendships were and really just finding out who I was after, I mean, years, because I'd never really spent a lot of time by myself since I was 19 years old. So here I was 35, 36 years old, and I was for the first time by myself as a grown woman. So, you know, it was a lot of just following my bliss. And that really, and that's one of the things that, you know, when I work with my coaching clients is that follow that. There is a reason why your gut tells you that things are bad and things are good because all of those other relationships, my gut was telling me it was wrong. Mind was saying, well, but you know, you're being too picky or, you know, it's your fault and you need to do this. And there was all these other excuses and, and guilt and everything else. And once I really let those go, it started to really change my life. And it was almost like the colors were more bright and the world was just such a happier, more wonderful place. You know, I just, I created my business and I said, I want to help other people because I didn't think, I didn't even realize how much better it could be until I was on the other side. And I was like, I want everyone to be here. Like how great would it be if everybody could really live their best self? And so I kind of started doing that and, you know, not to go on and on, but I ended up started to, I was dating. I started dating. I'd never dated as an adult. So I didn't know how to do that. And I was dating around and kind of just saying to like the guys I would date, I'm really not looking for a relationship. I don't think because in my mind, every relationship was going to end up in something terrible. So I really loved the freedom and the joy that I had. And so dating was kind of like for fun, but I wasn't looking for a relationship realistically until I met a really great guy online and we met, he lived about an hour and a half away and we started dating and he would come to visit. And I was like, I kept saying in my head, I'm going to break up with him because he seems so good (laughs) and he's everything on my list. And I was like, but maybe something bad's going to happen. And that was subconscious. I didn't really believe it. I didn't really understand it at the time. He said, you know what? I understand and I want to be with you. And if you don't want to be with me, then tell me, but I will wait for you to make your decision on whatever it is you want. And the not being pushy and the being supportive and and I was still dating other people. And he said, I'm not going to date other people, but you do what you need to do. He was not forcing, you know, and, and we really became friends because I could be myself and I saw who he was and he wasn't someone that was going to try to control me or put me down or make me feel bad. He just, he really loved me enough that he really loved me. He wanted me to be happy, whether it was with him or not. And that was, you know, for that moment, that was like, okay, I think that this is a good guy. So I just started dating him exclusively. And long story short, we are now married for you know, almost three years and have a beautiful two-year-old son. And you know, everything is, wow. is wonderful. That is amazing. And I can attest, you, you mentioned the joy and the, the colors seemed brighter when you started, you know, following your bliss. And I can attest to when you're comfortable with yourself, you know, I was just happy after all of this and, and getting through a bunch of junk that when I became happy being myself with myself, 
I didn't need anybody else to be myself. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, the colors, the joy that you can find. I mean, I was content to be by myself the rest of my life and very mm -hmm. happy mm -hmm. with, yep. I mean, like ecstatic, like I could do whatever I want. I could go to movies if I want. I could go to, you know, yeah. freedom is so amazing and alluring. And so there is freedom on the other side once you make that decision and, you know, it's possible. It's definitely it is. And it makes me tear up at times because I think, you know, had I not made that decision mm -hmm. to leave, I cry about it every time because had I not made that decision, I wouldn't live and experience right. this. And I think back, you know, that was, it's been now, I've been divorced now for five years. And, you know, it's just, I would be, I turned 40 in December and I'm like, I would be 40 and still living that same life. And who knows? I could have been killed. I mean, who, you know, I would have been miserable. And instead I get to live a happy life that I'm created. That's so exciting. So tell me a little bit about your business and how you help other women. That's what I felt too. I'm like, when I started life storytelling and writing my memoir through a class and I realized the healing properties of that, I wanted to tell everybody else about how to do that and the joy that it can bring. But you've created a business out of it that you operate with your husband. Tell me a little bit about that. So the name of our business is Mind and Body Awakenings. And it was basically that name came to me immediately after I decided to start the business because of my, I felt for me, it was not just my mind, but it was my body that awakens. I felt more awake than I had ever felt probably in my whole life. And so, you know, it really is a holistic effect. So, you know, trying to focus on your healing through you know, exercise and nutrition. And my big thing is, you know, I follow a more, I can't say vegan diet, but I'll say plant-based diet because I don't always follow, but a more plant-based diet. And really, because that gives me the energy and stamina to do everything that I do. But, you know, those things along with, I am a Reiki 2 level practitioner. I'm normally, I'm very good at being an empath. And, you know, it can be a good thing and a bad thing when you're an empath. So good to be able to read people's energy and now that I'm in a healthy place, I can do that in a healthier way. Because I think that when I was married, I wanted to help and fix someone who didn't want to be helped and fixed. You know, I think now I'm able to come from a place where I can sense energy and I can sense, you know, how someone, where they're really coming from and whether, you know, their positive energy and all of that. And I can see their possibilities. And I think what's really great about what I get to do is, is that I kind of help remind them in a way that's not hurtful or negative, but remind them their why, you know, they get to, they tell me what they're actually looking for. And then I help support them and remind them by pointing out some of the things where they might be sabotaging themselves, or they might not be following what they say they're going to do. And they're not actually following through on it. And so, you know, I have one-on-one -on -one coaching clients and actually right now I have a six-week coaching, online coaching group that is going to be every single day. So like intensive, intensive, you're going to get more in those six weeks that you would get probably in months of other coaching, you know, with videos and activities. So my background is also education. So I have a double master's in health and education and also a background in crisis counseling. So I have all of that to add to the plate. So it's going to be a really intense six weeks of really for people that are really ready to make changes now. Wow. That is exciting because there are some people who don't know how, like you discovered it kind of naturally and I discovered it kind of naturally, but there are those people who would really benefit from having somebody come alongside them 
and help walk them through that and into their own joy and a joy-filled life. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's really the support. I think there was moments I felt so alone and just like nobody understood and you know there was nobody there for me. And I think if I could have had someone to kind of, because your friends are your friends and they want to help, but they don't really understand you know, it's kind of like holding someone's hand and saying, I'm not walking in front of you. I'm not walking behind you. I'm just going to hold your hand and be there with you as you go through this journey. Right. So where can people find out more about this coaching and yourself? Well, they can go to www.mindandbodyawakenings.com. They can also follow us on Facebook at mindandbodyawakenings.com. Instagram is Awakenings. But you know, Facebook is definitely the place to find us and send us an email if you're interested in finding out any more information specifically for you guys. We are giving a good percentage break off of the six-week coaching and we're throwing in an extra where there's going to be a free session with my husband that again, the psyche, which a lot of people don't know what it is, but it's basically just a subconscious mind change. I really felt like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't going to be able to get, you know, to find a healthy relationship. He is really great at crafting a new subconscious belief that actually replaces the old one so that instead of saying, I'm not good enough, you might have something more positive, like I deserve a healthy, happy relationship. And then instead of going to that negative place, you kind of automatically go. So that really kicks it up a notch with our clients. I noticed that's a really major change there. Right. Well, I am so thrilled that you have gotten to this point and that you're helping others with that as well. So I appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It was really great chatting with you and, and another survivor. And, and to everybody out there, I mean, there's, you're way stronger than you realize. There's, there's always hope and you really can create the life that you want. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. I was really struck by what Stephanie's mom asked her. She said something like, if this was your last day on earth, would you be happy with the life that you led? I think if a lot of us were to look back on the past year and what we endured, what we allowed to happen, and what our lives were like, and we would say no. No, I don't want to leave this as a legacy. It's another way of taking a serious look at your life. Because if you don't turn around and take a good look, if you don't examine where you've been, if you don't plan to make things better instead of wish them to be better, you'll be doomed to repeat and repeat and repeat, and you'll never get out of that cycle. My challenge to you is to stop what you're doing and take stock of what your life has been like. What would you like to improve? And talk with a trusted friend about how to improve it. I say talk to a trusted friend because if you leave it up to yourself, you may not have the guts to look or to change. Build your support system and make the next 12 months far better than the last. That's all we have for today. In the last episode, Anna Seewald shared her thoughts on losing everything and surviving a natural disaster at 13 years old. So if you have ever had a single event devastate your life, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Peggy Oliveira, who is a survivor whisperer. Fascinating stuff, so stay tuned. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, YouTube, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. 
before you go, don't forget to go download the Guide to Freewriting Your Life Stories. It provides step-by-step direction to get those stories out of your head and into a story. Download that for free at stacybrookman.com slash freewrite. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is This Boy's Life, a memoir by Tobias Wolf. This unforgettable memoir introduces us to the young wolf by turns tough and vulnerable, crafty and bumbling, and ultimately winning as he fights for identity and self-respect against the unrelenting hostility of a stepfather. His various schemes, running away to Alaska, forging checks and stealing cars, lead him to an act of outrageous self-invention that releases him into a new world of possibility. Check out This Boy's Life, a memoir, and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And always remember that life is a story, and it's never too late to start telling yours.